Hi, Lloyd. A little slow tonight, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is, Mr. Torrance. What will it be? I'm awfully glad you asked me that, Lloyd. Because I just happen to have two 20s and two 10s right here in my wallet. I was afraid they were going to be there next April. So here's what. Slip me a bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. You can do that, can't you, Lloyd? You're not too busy, are you? <laughs> no, sir. Not busy at all. Good man. You set him up, and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. Welcome to another COVID-19 stuck-at-home impromptu edition of the Bourbon and Branch online podcast. I'm your host, Sean. I thought I'd keep switching things up, so I decided today I would talk a little bit about the rise of rye whiskey in the U.S. over the past several years and share a story I read recently by Chuck Cowdery. It's called Back in the Day, Rye Wants Some of Bourbon's Tourism Action. The bourbon boom has been great for Kentucky, where virtually all bourbon is made. In addition to the demand for more whiskey, the other big benefit to distilleries is tourism. The Kentucky Distillers Association, KDA, reports that more than 2.5 million visitors from all 50 states and 25 countries have visited KDA member distilleries in the past five years. Since two of the most visited distilleries, Buffalo Trace and Barton 1792, aren't KDA members, the actual number is even higher. Another million or so visited Jack Daniels and other distilleries in adjacent Tennessee. Kentucky and Tennessee combine rich, historic, and cultural connections with the homes of iconic brands of bourbon and Tennessee whiskey, respectively. Other states would love a piece of that action. Pennsylvania and Maryland, for instance, have historic connections to rye whiskey. Unfortunately, their distilling traditions died out half a century ago, and today most rye is made in Kentucky as well. A tourism obstacle? Maybe not. Philip Wiggle was one of only two people in western Pennsylvania convicted of treason and sentenced to hang for his role in the 1790s Whiskey Rebellion. Wiggle had beaten an excise tax collector and burned down the man's house. It was more hooliganism than treason, but the powers that be wanted to make a point. Wiggle survived thanks to the first presidential pardon issued by President George Washington, who feared the rebellion might escalate into civil war. Side note, the architect of the hated excise tax Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton is busy with his hit musical and will have no further role in this story. Wickle and the other distillers who defied the young federal government were making a primitive rye whiskey. Although their mashes likely contained corn, malt, and possibly wheat, frontier distillers tended to use whatever was at hand, but the usual mash in the Monongahela Valley was rye-heavy. About the same time, Kentucky frontier distillers began to flip the ratio, making the corn-heavy distillate 
that became bourbon. Pennsylvania and Maryland made rye whiskey vied with bourbon for prominence throughout the pre-Prohibition period. Old Overholt Rye, the most popular whiskey brand of that era, was born not far from Pittsburgh at West Overton. The brand was founded by a farmer-weaver distiller named Abraham Overholt. Today you can tour his house and barns, one of which holds a museum. The other, a small, modern distillery currently used mostly for educational purposes. Like Overholt, Philip Wiggle now has a whiskey brand. Wiggle Whiskey was started in 2011 in Pittsburgh. The Whiskey Rebellion looms large in its story. It is one of many craft distilleries in the state trying to tie historic and contemporary distilleries together through the recently launched Whiskey Rebellion Trail. We don't know very much about the whiskeys those early distillers made. They were rye-heavy, yes, but the eastern style was lighter than the western one. That might be because new cooperage was used in the west, while used cooperage was more common in the east. Another factor might have been that distillers in Philadelphia and Baltimore, more developed areas, had better equipment and were thus able to produce a cleaner spirit. The eastern breed is often referred to as Maryland-style rye. The Maryland Distillers Guild describes it as a spicy rye cushioned with the sweet corn and just a hint of one or two other grains that give Maryland rye whiskey its dynamic taste. It is delicate and bold, spicy and fruity, all separately and at the same time. Vagueness about style isn't stopping Baltimore's Sagamore Spirits. Right now, they're combining and bottling two rye recipes made at MGP in Indiana. They've built a large distillery on Baltimore's waterfront to recreate them. They have been producing there for only two years, so we don't know for a few more how well they've succeeded. Sagamore can afford to wait. It is owned by Kevin Plank, CEO of Under Armour, which is also based in Baltimore. Sagamore rye is well distributed throughout the region. One early distiller who paid his taxes without complaint was George Washington, whose distillery at Mount Vernon is nearby in nearby, nearby Virginia has been faithfully recreated as a working distillery and is open to the public. Rye whiskey made there is solid is sold in the gift shop. Like Kentucky and Tennessee, Pennsylvania and Maryland, along with Virginia and the District of Columbia, have found a creative way to combine historic attractions with distillery visits and museums are usually closed by 5 p.m. The perfect time to raise a glass to the Whiskey Rebellion Trail. Cheers. And I hope everyone's staying safe during these troubling times. Enjoy some whiskey. Enjoy some bourbon. And everybody, have a great day. Thank you.